Welcome, friends, to another edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, here on your community radio station. We are WFMPLP Louisville, broadcasting from here in the historic Habern Building at 106.5 FM and live streaming to the world at forwardradio.org. We want you to go there to become a part of our community station. Uh, maybe you want to volunteer, get behind the microphones or behind the scenes. This is all volunteer-powered radio. Or maybe you can chip in a few bucks to help keep us on the air and while I'm mentioning that, I want to give a big shout out and thank you to all of the 45 donors who contributed to Forward Radio during Give for Good Louisville recently. We were so thrilled to exceed our goal. I believe we raised 117% of our goal of $4,000. Thank you, everybody who chipped in to help keep us on the air another year. This is the power of community and community radio. Well, my name is Justin Mogg, and what we do on Sustainability Now is is we gather interesting folks from around the community who are doing the work of paying attention to social, economic, and environmental impact and trying to really make a better world tomorrow. And what we've got on deck for you today is a really special conversation that happened thanks to one of my former guests, Letitia Marshall of Bear Fruit Gardening. She has got a YouTube channel called Bear Fruit Gardening. I encourage you to check it out on YouTube. Uh, and she pulled together together a great group of folks to have a conversation about what is so sexy about sustainability. I was delighted to be one of those guests along with my wife Amanda Fuller and Vaughn Barnes from Kentuckiana Backyard Farms and Melina Hederachi. And they're all from the Urban Agriculture Coalition and it was a great conversation not just about agriculture but a whole bunch of ways that sustainability is so sexy. So I want to share this great great conversation with you and and stay tuned. Coming up after that, get your calendars out and your pencils sharpened, my friends, because we will have our community action calendar. So here it is from Letitia Marshall's Bear Fruit Gardening YouTube channel. What is so sexy about sustainability here on Sustainability Now? What's going on, everybody? Hey, good evening. It's Letitia with Bear Fruit Gardening. I hope that you are doing exquisite. So today we are live, y'all, with some peeps from my from my city, y'all, and representing all different types of organizations. And I will let them introduce themselves here in just a second. But y'all, y'all know I got to come at y'all again with some, some crazy stuff, right? And by crazy, I mean it in the best way, right? I just want to learn, and I hope that y'all are ready to learn, too. But let's talk about what is so sexy about sustainability. I, I just feel like I've always heard this word before, this concept, but never really grasped what it really meant, right? And the first thing my mind goes to all the time is the environment. And I say this a lot, and I don't mean any pun or what disrespect or whatever, but I've never really considered myself like a tree hugger, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so I've always kind of shied away from those groups or those people that are just like, you know, save the planet, save the earth, you know? And that might seem really crazy because I always talk about reduce, reuse, recycle, right? On my channel. And as a matter of fact, I teach a lot of people how to reuse things, right? To start their gardens, buckets, pots, you know, right. even aluminum foil containers. You know, I teach them how to use everything. But I've never really considered being one of those people that have been 100% engaged in my behavior as it relates to how I treat the environment and the space around me until, <laughs> until <laughs> I decided one day to respond to this calling, I guess, or of some sort to the soil 
And um, and so now my life has forever been changed because my eyes are just open in, in so many different ways. Like I'm just seeing so many different things differently. And, and, then, and then as I engage with people like Amanda and Melina and Justin, who are on this call today, thank y'all so much for joining me. Um, I, and other groups in the community related to agriculture, I am finding myself wanting to learn more about what the heck this means and why is it so sexy? Meaning why, do, why are people so attracted to it now, right? And not just individuals, but businesses, big corporations, university. I mean, you know, they are really putting some money into sustainability. So I don't consider myself an expert. I'm here to learn. Yes, I have a few questions to ask, but we're going to just go with the flow, right? So I'm excited to have everybody here. Please, please, please introduce yourself. And we can start with, let's start with Amanda first. We'll go Melina and then Justin last. Hi, everybody. I'm Amanda Fuller, and I uh, met Letitia through the Urban Agriculture Coalition here in Louisville. And I have been an urban grower really ever since I moved here to Louisville, but before that, and just try to grow stuff in any vacant space I can find in the city. So just love what Letitia's doing. And we really connected um, eagerly on that point, but also have been an enthusiast on sustainability for a long time. Justin and I live together and we are car-free household. I'm sure people want to talk about that. And other weird things that we do are also really fun ways of living that you know, people would put under the umbrella of sustainability. So glad to be here with you all and like excited to learn uh, likewise from all the rest of you and hear some new ideas. I'm Melina, Melina Hetgerachi. I am new to Louisville-ish and it makes time not matter anymore. But yeah, moved here and got connected. I don't even remember how I got connected with Food and Neighborhoods, but um, that's where I met Letitia, either in the Policy Action Group or in Urban Ag. I don't, I don't know because I do both. But I am new to the career. I'm a. My mom calls me a hippie millennial, and she thinks that that's what we should start calling all of us, like young people who are very into sustainability and eco-conscious. I mean, like my Instagram feed is full of ads actually for sustainable brands and stuff. And I fall for it a lot. And so I have a lot of thoughts on like greenwashing and like you said, corporate sustainability. I fancied myself going into corporate social responsibility law and like Mm -hmm. holding corporations accountable to like corporate social responsibility agreements and stuff, but I don't do contracts. So that's not me. But yeah, I am also, I'll be honest, I'm more excited to like yell about sustainability because like I also try to do lots of things at home, but I'm sick and tired of this idea that like individuals are responsible for like global climate change right, issues and right. that's where sustainability starts is at home and I'm like I'm over that so I have lots of feelings and really excited to talk about it <laughs> and hey everybody I'm Justin Mogg I'm the sustainability coordinator at the University of Louisville and I'm joining you today from Forward Radio, which is your community radio station right here in Louisville, 106.5 FM, and you can find us at forwardradio.org. I'm the host of a show called Sustainability Now, and i that's where I first met Letitia, was uh, getting to interview her on my show. Uh, so check out the archives at forwardradio.org if you want to hear that first conversation, that spark of joy at getting to meet Letitia and learn about what she does. And she's really inspired me ever since I met her, too. Uh, but yeah, I, I've been trying to live this life of sustainability um, since I first encountered the concept back Back in the late 90s in college and I read about this concept of sustainable development and it just blew my mind because like you were saying Letitia like up until that point I had everything in these boxes in these silos in my brain where like I'm not just an environmentalist I don't feel like I'm just an environmentalist I'm not just a social justice warrior I, I don't just want peace I want it all and suddenly I had this concept of oh my gosh we can have it all through 
sustainability. And that's what's so exciting about it is it is the, the original intersectionality. Like we talk about intersectionality today and I get I get why we're talking about it now today. But there's an intersectionality, too, to how we think about problems and how we solve them. And it's it's integrating all of those different ideas into this concept of sustainability that makes it so exciting and endlessly sexy, if you ask me, because it's not just about solving and fixing one thing. Right. It's not just about trees. It's not just about recycling. It's not just about social justice. It's about solutions that actually work for everybody and the planet all at once. And it's difficult, but I think it's sexy. <laughs> Me too, Justin. I, I love how you put that. So I, I wanted for folks that are not sure like what sustainability is, because Justin kind of helped us get there. I just Googled, you know, yeah. um, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, and this is their definition in so many words. So sustainability is everything we need to survive and enhance our quality of life directly or indirectly, depending on our natural environment. So and our, so our responsibility apparently is to create and maintain conditions in which humans and nature can exist in harmony. Do we agree with that definition? Well, that's that's part of it, right? But you 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 left out all the social and the economic piece of it too. Uh, people talk about like there's so many ways to conceptualize this. Like a three-legged stool is a simple one to think about, right? Like it, the stool's gonna fall over if you if you've only got the environment piece solid, right? And and if you're in in harmony with nature, that's great. But if people are being abused in the process, or if you don't have a functioning economy, or your finances are all screwed up, that stool's gonna topple, right? And so that's the idea. It's like it, it's a balancing act all the time of balancing these different values. So that's one way to conceive of it. The other way is like, you know, the Venn diagram of overlapping circles, social, economic, and environmental, and where they all meet, that's sustainable development. Uh, but I really like the concentric circle idea because <laughs> uh, if we think about like, we don't have an economy without society, right? So the economy circle's got to be in the middle of the society circle, right? And we don't have any of those things if we don't have a functioning planet to live on, right? So we say that the economy is a wholly owned subsidiary of the environment. Yeah, right? So in a way, sustainability all got started because we realized that we were really screwing up the planet and that was screwing us up and our economy up. And if we don't fix that, we're doomed. But in the process of trying to fix the environment, environmentalists started to realize that, oh, well, <laughs> that's good. But we also need a society where justice is at the forefront and all people are treated equally. And we also have a functioning economy. So all three of those things need to happen for true sustainability. And we need to seek solutions that work in all, all three of those realms. Yeah, I think that that also comes to like where I think sustainability and my whole, you know, vendetta against corporate social responsibility nonsense um, is that like what we're dealing with now. And I think this goes to Letitia's original question. Why is it sexy right now? Is like you've got this, I think, reawakening, but very much like very huge social push to reckon with stop going for the bottom line. Mm. Like if you're always decreasing your bottom line, you are sacrificing something. You're sacrificing your labor. You're sacrificing your environment. You're sacrificing the quality of materials. And we've done that for so long that like a good example is fast fashion. Fast fashion is very much in the news right now with my entire generation. And I would say maybe the generation before me has no idea what it's like to have handmade clothes, mm. like to have clothes handed down very well, like mm. where it's cheaper to keep your clothes and mend them. Like we don't know how to mend our own clothes. We don't know how to sew a hem or a button. And it's not because like, it's not just because we weren't taught and like that individual responsibility of it, but it's like, it's cheaper to just go to Target and buy a new shirt or to Walmart and buy a new shirt. So why not just do that? And then you can you know think you're doing okay by handing it down or something, but that's not right either. But I think that that's a good example of when the fashion companies kept cutting their costs over and over, they stopped recycling their water. They stopped using safe dyes. They stopped using like ethical labor practices, no more fair trade, like all of those things. 
that makes it cheaper for us. Now we have to pay for the consequences of that. Yes, we weren't paying then, now we are paying for it. I think like thinking about the concentric circles at different scales also makes me think about how we think about the way we operate and the way we live at different scales. Like to me, I think you can think about like your household as like using the things and the resources that you have as efficiently as you can, right? Like using your own soil, like assuming you have, like if you're lucky enough to have land, right? Like if you have land, you have like rain that falls on the land. Can you use that water? You have soil. Can you grow something in the soil? You know, can you make habitat for other creatures? Like at different scales, like sustainability is like using something efficiently, like making use of the resources you have available to you, right? Like you can't have everything because you only have a certain amount of resources to work with. And like the same at a, at a city level or a, or a community level, like are we making use of all the resources that we have? Like, yes, it's soil and water, but it's also the human people who live in the community. Like, are those people being educated? Are they being trained? Are they like being offered the resources that they need to like actualize themselves and contribute and, you know, develop their talents and skills? Like, or if we're not doing that, that's not sustainable. You know, like we need to develop and make sure we're efficiently using what's available to us. And that goes like expanded out. It goes to the whole planet. Like we can only use what we have. So we have to think about like the planet is a, is a story. It's like the biggest concentric circle <laughs> have only in that circle and make sure that everything is like contained within it. And yeah, you're not going to have everything the way it looks like right now, but you can live a very healthy, fulfilling life and sleep better at night knowing that the world is healthier and then your neighbors are healthier and maybe you know who your neighbors are. <laughs> <laughs> I think Amanda was touching on a really important point there. Something that fundamentally about sustainability that makes it sexy is it's about community. You can't exactly. be sustainable say, it's alone. It's a moral imperative. Right? There is no just sustainable me. And it's it's all about a community process. And that means relationships inherently. You got to know people. And that makes that makes people interesting when they're when they're networked and connected with others and know their neighbors or, or know enough to be resilient right with others uh and I, I tell you what the other reason this is really important I, you know i work with you know young people every day at, at uofl climate anxiety is a real deal amongst these people right they have been bombarded with the news that we are doomed y'all like we have already driven off the cliff and it's all over and yet here they are in college trying to figure out like how to make a better life for themselves and it's this cognitive dissonance well along comes sustainability and suddenly you have a solution. You have a path to empowerment that says you do make a difference. Your life does matter. And we're only doomed if you give up. But if we work together in community to find a better way forward together, well, that's exciting. And so that's your way out of climate anxiety is to do something about it. <laughs> and as much as the science is scary, and I agree that it is a scary moment, you know, don't deny that. But use that as a driving force to get you to do action because there's no time to party <laughs> and just, you know, fiddle while the planet burns. Like this is a moment of crisis and we do need to take action. And it's exciting to take action uh, in so many different ways. It, it can be as simple as like what you're eating today on your plate, or it can be as complicated as joining a, a movement to stop fossil fuels. Right. Like there's so many places along that spectrum where you can dive in in community and start making a difference. Uh, and it's exciting work. Like building a community grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> there you yeah, go. Yeah. Just say, let's talk about what are some of those attainable things that we can do? Because when I think about sustainability or saving the earth or whatever, I just feel like that's too big for me. And so like, it's like, what can I do here at my, and, and then someone mentioned that it's not an individual 
person's responsibility, but that we have to all do it together. But like, I'm still trying to figure out what, which part of this I can chew Mm -hmm. on my own and, or being involved or networking with people that are trying to do the same things. That way I don't feel alone too. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's a constant learning process too. And, you know, I think I was, you know, the one who's like, I'm tired of being told like me, like me not using straws is going to save the planet. Like, okay. (laughs) I think we've all, we've all agreed that that was, that was some bait and switch nonsense. Whoever was against the straws. I think about how I follow, I have one Instagram account and I wish I remembered her name, but she does a really good job of saying, if you can do some things, you know, those are the things you can emotionally put forward. Stop letting people tell you you're not doing enough. You know, if you're doing your best, that's it. So if what matters to you is composting at home and figuring out how to have a home compost pile, freaking compost. It's an everyday thing to compost. So every day you would be putting a little bit more towards a sustainable way to use your waste again. That's right. As opposed to, you know, your freaking straws. Nobody like if, and if straws are your thing, fine, let straws be your thing, but like (laughs) stop preaching to other people about it. And I think that's where I'm sustainability being sexy is also a thing where just like the idea of being sexy, it's being policed as well. Mm. Are you doing enough? Is it sexy enough at home? Mm. You know, like we signed up for Louisville compost co-op. So happy that we did that because that's basically municipal compost. It's way better than my compost pile at home. And I was composting wrong at home. So like really great that I did that, you know, putting the wrong stuff in your compost means you can't really use it, but it didn't go to a massive landfill and that's better. Right. So I'm still not kicking myself for putting the wrong stuff in the compost. It's, it's better than it was. But then on top of that, could you, you can replace your water filter in your washer so that when the washer drains all that stuff that has like microplastics from our clothes, you can get one and have a more efficient one than whatever your washer comes. I didn't even know that was a thing, but a company that I love that sells leggings that are made of recycled plastic sells these more efficient water filters. And that's an example of like a a company saying, if you care about this, here's a way you can upgrade what you're doing. You don't have to do it, but pick the things that are important to you you know, you watch a few videos, you do a few things and you do it at home and that's fine. I truly believe that it's more about like Kroger saying they're not going to have plastic bags, allowing market bags, allowing buying bulk produce and stuff like, and there are models where they're already doing that stuff. You don't, it's not new. That's the other thing about sustainability is I think it's central to sustainability is none of it is new. Mm -hmm. It is stuff we were doing before, or we could easily implement and we stopped because it was cheaper. Yes. And, and been doing it way before. Amanda and I were mm-hmm. kind of having this conversation about canning earlier. Mm. You know, our ancestors, our grandparents, great-grandparents, they were doing so many things already, right? It just happens. Now we call it sustainability. Mm-hmm. We it also goes to like the idea that it's a social and economic issue because this idea that when we do better, like economically, then we have money to spend on luxuries. You don't have to reuse every little thing because you're not worried that it's not going to be there. But I can almost guarantee you anybody who's grown up financially insecure knows how to save and knows how to be sustainable. Like, you know how to do it, but your family may also have bought like the least organic products that have ever existed because it was cheaper and that's not their fault. And we shouldn't be kicking those people to the curb because of it. But I think that that's a, that's a big piece is like, it's cheaper to be sustainable in a lot of ways. And then the things that aren't cheaper for an individual to do, I believe corporations should be doing. So that's really the crux of my sustainability beliefs. Yeah, I want to talk about that. Like, how do we get from individual responsibility and like away from like the policing sensibility? Like, I think some level of peer pressure is how movements grow. And so there's like something there to sharing what you're doing with other people and like sharing the joy of what you're doing with other people so that they will be encouraged to like ditch their car and get on a bike, for example. Yeah, and <laughs> how easy so it can joyful, be. Right? How easy, that's right. Like mm-hmm. showing people how easy something is to do. But then we have to get to that systems change where you know, making our roads safe so that people know that it's safe to ride a bike because some people still are going to be afraid. Mm -hmm. So talk about that. Like I want to hear, you know, your all's experiences or Letitia, your ideas about 
how do we get people from that sense of like, let's reuse some stuff and make a cool thing at home to like, let's discover what's wrong about what's making it hard for other people to do this or, um, you know, where we need to advocate for better policy change. I know you all are involved in policy advocacy, so you've already gotten there, you know, and you've sort of seen those connections. Yeah. First off, Justin, I would like for you to talk a little bit about Amanda's comment, but before we get to that, I'm about to make a t-shirt. This, and if anybody wants to buy it, let me know. <laughs> it's going to say, stop policing my sexy hashtag sustainability. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Justin, you have, a, you have a comment to Amanda's well, comment. Actually, what I was noodling on was going back to what we were talking about earlier about looking to the past for sustainability ideas, I think that's great because there's a lot of things about past cultures that are more sustainable, especially with environmental impact, because we've seen that, you know, ever since we started relying on fossil fuels and started expanding our use of chemicals, all of those things have really amped up the environmental impact of things. But the cautionary note there is there's a hell of a lot unsustainable about past cultures. You know, like you want to amp up that patriarchy and the racism. You just look to the past. So it's not like we just got to go back in our little time machine to some halcyon days when everything was all that. And that's all we got to do. Right. Like this is a forward progression. Right. And we take yeah. the good and we filter out the bad. And that's how we get to greater sustainability uh, in, in my mind. I mean, there are things that I like to do that feel a little bit like uh you know Ludditeism, right like i i like to not use I, I like to filter out some of the technologies that just come marching along because i don't think they're good for me and i don't think they're good for the planet either so the car was the first one i filtered out of my life i was like when i was 15 and everybody else is getting driver's license i was like no i'm gonna try living without this damn thing and boy has that been liberating and wonderful uh, but several other things have come along and, and some people look at my life and they're like well you're living in the past you know but for me it's it's, it's I'm living healthy and <laughs> mentally so healthy, important. right? I was going to say that earlier because I think that's another reason it's sexy now, especially with younger generations. Like my youngest sister is about to graduate college. She's getting a minor in sustainability, but she is also part of this like entire age group that is so aware of mental health needs and understanding, right? Like claim, climate anxiety or like work-life balance and how we don't have it and things like that have come along that are the least sustainable practices tend to be things that like they're hurting us mentally as well and emotionally as well. So I think about like my planned obsolescence phone, right? My planned obsolescence right. phone that's made by children in, in slave labor practices also causes me a lot of anxiety because people can contact me all the time, like anywhere I go. That's right. And there's Facebook and there's Twitter and there's all of these things that like are not really good for me. So then I have to work into my phone planned hours where it rains and things like that. Well, I could just not have it. Mm -hmm. And then I'm not contributing to that. But my one purchase of a phone, I still don't feel like does enough, right? So we talk about like some of our obsolete technologies, they were made to last for years, mm -hmm. years, like a record player, because I am that age and we do that stuff now. <laughs> um, but I have my record player and going to the store, they're like, yeah, this is going to last you. For it's been around since 1979, your record player specifically, it still has some of the same parts on it and it still works. Yeah. And that's how they were meant to be. And you can and fix so, it. Again, the corporations being like, well, what if we made them buy more things? Like that was on purpose, which is also the plot of a Brave Little Toaster goes to the moon or goes to the Mars movie. That movie's from the 90s. And that's the plot of the movie is planned obsolescence. Yeah. Show your kids that they will not <laughs> want a phone. Not kidding. <laughs> 
Yeah. The, the question of mental health is a huge one and we don't talk about it very much. We talk so much about like your physical health, <laughs> not just because I work hard during the day, but also because my mental health is better because I am outside a lot. You know, I'm riding my bike. I'm doing things that bring joy to my life. And um, I'm not working a job that I hate. I'm not surrounding myself with people who make me angry. You know, there is like a big mental health component to that. And I'm really glad to hear that like younger people are grabbing onto that. It's like maybe all you have <laughs> when you're 20, right? That you have to find something that, you know, makes you excited to keep going. But like the question of like, can we be sustainable with racism lingering is like, it speaks right directly to that though, you know, like no one is free until everyone is free, right. you know, like we all, like we can't sleep that well at night. <laughs> knowing that, you know, our brothers and sisters still are not liberated. So that is a huge part of sustainability too, is like building that community, knowing people, knowing your neighbors and figuring out how to like link your arms with people and really connect and share those resources, share knowledge. You know, that's really, that's like a huge part of sustainability and like building that community is really like a huge part of our building our own like collective mental health, I think. Yes, thank you all so much for your comment. If you're just now joining us, hey, everybody. Y'all know who I am, but I got some folks on here that are so dope, right? And we're talking about why or what is it about sustainability that's so sexy. We have somebody that just joined the panel, and this is Vaughn from Kentucky and the Backyard Farms. So we're just talking about a few things. If you want to introduce yourself real quick, I'll let you do that, and then we'll get back to it. Yeah, I'm actually in the middle of cutting down and hauling some trees. And I was like, man, you know, I got to get back on. I got to get to this call, but uh, I got to, like, dry off for a second, but I love where the conversation is already going. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming in and hanging out with us. So, Melina, yeah, um, I love this. You, you kind of want to circle back around. So Justin had mentioned, like, talk about technology, but also looking at past cultures. And I wanted to challenge that a little bit, like, I guess, hinting at looking at indigenous cultures and indigenous cultures are still today. So that's a big interest area of mine also is indigenous and native law. And I don't think I ever mentioned I am technically a lawyer in Kentucky, but you know, don't know what I'm doing yet. But that is something that I'm very passionate about. And um, I went to law school in California, where my law school was also doing a lot of reckoning with, like, literally being funded with like the proceeds of a ethnic genocide of a tribe in California. And so what do we do about that? And we talked about like native law and policy where like people just aren't talking about the current issues facing our native and ind indigenous groups in this country. And one of those you hear about a lot is like land back initiatives and like giving the land back. But I watched a video today from Greta Thunberg where she's addressing the Brazilian Senate over bills that they're talking about that um, have to do with like access to land, mining rights in the Amazon. And she sets it up so beautifully. Like I love her as an activist because she sets up that she's not the person who should be talking to Brazil, because she's like, I'm from a part of the world that created the crisis you're having to deal with right now, first of all. But I also think what you're doing is shameful because you know that there are solutions and you're choosing not to take them. And it's your government that's at fault for these like, you know, illegal and legalized logging practices and mining practices. And you have a population here that is so good at being land stewards and resource stewards where like, she said it was like, they're like 3%, globally, indigenous people are 3% of the population, but they have over 75% of biodiversity lands, like um, biodiverse lands that they're protecting. And that's because they're better land stewards than like national park guardian. And, and like, I love our national parks. I love parks. I love the park system. But like, when you're talking about land stewardship, that's the population that knows what's up and knows how to do it well. And we're just not utilizing them. And that goes back to Amanda talking about like, are all the people in your community being used efficiently, you know, like, and I don't want to say we're like using people, but that, that knowledge and that institutional, like understanding of how things work, not only was it jeopardized through the ethnic genocide in our country's history, but we're still not respecting it today. And so I think that that's, that's a big piece of sustainability that I think is not 
part of the sexy part. And that's a problem where we're thinking the sexy part is what, like, to be quite frank, white girls mm. on Instagram, mm. what they say you should do. But then you bring up native law and they're like, no, 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 we're not giving any land back. No, no, no. We're not stopping an oil pipeline. Like we're, we're just buying cuter. And we're not even paying indigenous artists. Like, excuse me. No, <laughs> like you don't get to wear the like fancy turquoise jewelry and not pay an indigenous artist. Right. Like, so yeah, I have obviously lots of feelings about that, but I think that that's very key in our sustainability conversations is like also what's not sexy about sustainability. And it tends to be when people of color want to talk about it. Boom, what you said, 110 gazillion percent. I love everything about what you just said. But yes, so I definitely agree with all the comments. Anybody else have anything else you would like to, anybody want to respond to Melina's comment? Justin? I mean, it's right on. What sustainability is going to look like is going to be different for everybody in every place. And that's something we've got to keep in mind that this isn't a one size fits all solution. It's not like, oh, we just got to buy the right thing or, or do get the process set up the right way. Just, I got to follow the textbook on sustainability. That's not how this happens. This is a struggle, a daily struggle to figure out what's going to work now because sustainability is about responding to the ever changing conditions that are all around us. Those are environmental conditions. Obviously that's where the whole climate resilience thing comes in. Right. But also the social and the economic conditions that are all around us. And then culture is such an important part of it. You know, there is no sustainability without a sustainable culture and everybody's a part of a culture and we, we cannot assume that it's going to look the same in all different cultures. It's not, it's, that's what sustainability is, is diversity. It, it's built on the strength of diversity. And so it's very difficult for us in the West you know, especially in academia, I work in a university where we all think we've got all the answers, right? And, and it's about asking the experts, what's up? Well, in a way, there's you can stuff you can learn from the experts, obviously, but it's about adapting it to what makes sense for me and what makes sense in my culture. That's where true sustainability happens. I agree with that. I mean, one size doesn't fit all. And, and that's the issue with policy, I think. Uh, I know that's the issue with policy. <laughs> and some of that was very intentional, right? Most right. of yes. it was. We don't want it to fit all shoes and walks of life and environments. But yeah, you're right. Like what happens in zone 7A mm -hmm. uh, and what we need to fix in, in, in Kentucky may not be what California needs to Absolutely. fix or come together and figure out some a plan for. Any thoughts about that? When yeah, can we, now that we're talking about culture and like what fits everybody, can we talk about how you guys don't have a car? <laughs> <laughs> like I can't, so I lived in San Francisco where I loved public transportation. We only had a car because it moved with us like from North Carolina, but we never used it. Nice. And we only used it to go like to the grocery store for like hauls. Like if we had lots of things, otherwise we took the bus, we took the train. Like I never had to use a car. Even my husband who had to commute like over an hour down to his job, they had a shuttle system. So that like, that was a, a bus and then moving here i was all like i'm taking the bus to places and we live in the highlands and i had a job downtown and i thought i would take the bus and couldn't like i was like i cannot wait 30 minutes for a bus and then the bus to be late and then i'm 20 minutes late to work like i don't understand especially when it's downtown right like in san francisco it was like constantly a complaint that we had that it took you 30 minutes to go two miles in a car but on a bus or a train, it was reliable. I could see where my bus was. Like, even if you didn't, everybody else was in the same boat. So like, you could walk into class late and be like, sorry, the end wasn't running. And they're like, yeah, we know the professors are also late. You know, like everyone could do that. And that's why it was a culture that was way more sustainable. But then I moved here and was like, wait a second. I can't take the bus anymore. And I don't understand. Um, I also didn't really learn to ride a bike and I'm working on that, like emotionally, like I'm trying to get into the bike life, I promise. But so how did you, like, how did you guys, how do you manage? What do you do? 
Well, first of all, like I, I have taught adult women to ride bikes before, so I will gladly adopt you as a. Tell me what kind of bike to get because I don't even know how to buy a bike. Okay, see, we can start. We can start from the beginning on that. Like that would be a super fun project. I would love that. <laughs> and I know that a lot of younger people are not learning to ride bikes. Like we've been learning this, you know, from like I'm Generation X. I feel like everybody learned to ride a bike when I was a kid, but. I know there, like our land development situation in the United States is such that some people don't live in places where they really are learning to ride bikes as kids, or there's no place to go if you do ride a bike. And so Mm -hmm. it's, it's sort of like a realization that I've had recently that like, that's the thing that I hope we're not losing that skill. Like we lost canning (laughs) or something, but I know how to ride. And I know so many people who know how to ride. I don't know how to ride in traffic Mm -hmm. and also in a place that isn't bike friendly. I'm like, "Mm, no, thank you. I'm not trying to get hit today. So that's a different matter, but I mean, also super like on point. Yeah. Mm Well, and it's, it's one of the things I was thinking earlier about, you know, what makes sustainability sexy is, is that it, it's a bit of a rebellion, right? <laughs> it, it's countercultural. So it's true. Counter to the mainstream culture, right? Um, it's its own culture in a way. But, you know, when you think about high school, right? Like, well, like the bad guys and the bad girls, that's who that's who we find sexy, right? Like the, the rebels. And that, to me, that's always been what was drawn me to it is like, I don't like what I'm seeing out there in the world. I'm going to rebel against it. And so one of those things was cars. And I'm just going to adopt this personal war on cars. And, and, oh, you're that guy. And, and the guy without a phone. See right? if I can like figure out. has a skit about the guy without a phone. Like, you're that guy. Yeah, yeah. See if I can figure out a way to make uh, life work without cars. Uh, and that happened when I was 15. Uh, and my dad took me and my brother on a cross-country bike trip from our home in D.C. to Seattle. And I'm like, well, if I can do that, I can get to school and anywhere else on a bike. So I've been doing it ever since. Uh, when I met Amanda, she still had a car, but was starting definitely to move towards car-free living and eventually got rid of her car and we started car sharing uh with just with neighbors which you can do right now you don't have to wait you don't have to wait for some corporation to set up a car share system in your city just start with your neighbors saying we're going to share this car we're going to share the insurance costs we're going to share the gas costs we're going to keep a little clipboard in there and do it evenly right like you can Uh set up your own solution with your neighbors because not everybody needs their car every day to Mm -hmm. do everything right and so when we start again living in community true community with other people and we share resources like a car then things like living with in my household without a car becomes realistic because yeah there's going to be times you might want one. Which is such a good point because like I think we have this rhetoric that cities are not conducive to cars, which they're not, right? Like they're built like to have a car, like nothing else. You can't really walk, you can't really bike. We've built them the wrong way to make it a real communal outside of the bubble of your car kind of community. But then I think about like my sister who lives in the middle of nowhere outside of Birmingham and off the main exit of the interstate, there's a parking lot where everybody stops and does car sharing. So they all mm. drive to that one spot. And then they get picked up and all they, they all go to their jobs. And like, that's a very common thing in immigrant communities, people who do lots of like construction work. Yeah. I I guess like another like social economic, like piece of, I just never thought of it. And it's a part of the privilege that I have that I had never even thought. And when, oh, well, I didn't, I did think about, there's like a Louisville car share thing. Like there's a van that like does to certain places or something here, but you're talking about like a van pool or carpool. Yeah, which is also a good thing. Like, I would definitely be an advocate for either of those things. But what we're talking about is something a little bit different. Right. A car share would be like sharing a lawnmower with your neighbor. Like, nobody's all using their lawnmowers at the same time. <laughs> right? You all could share a lawnmower. Like, five households could legit share a lawnmower. And you don't need, like, five lawnmowers in the world. You really only need one. So the car is the same way. Like, when I got rid of my car, there was a book in the late 90s or early 2000s called Divorce Your Car. Mm -hmm. And this um, woman wrote about her journey to deciding to get rid of her car and learning to live without a car. It was like, it was a thing. And I was working with a couple of people at that time who had just divorced their cars Mm -hmm. in like 2002 or so. 
And so I set it up with a friend that I had a car that was old. That was like, I wasn't paying any car payments on or anything. And my other friend had the same deal. I decided to get rid of my car and we used her car as a car share. And this was like in the olden days, we had a clipboard in the car. We wrote down the miles that we drove. Now you probably use an app or whatever. There's other ways of figuring this out. And then like we shared the insurance costs, we shared um, everything else, like according to the miles that we drove. So at the end of the month, we would like settle up and be like, okay, I drove like 40 miles. I'm going to pay this much. My friend drove 60 miles. And so we're going to split the gas, you know, and it, it's like a fraction of what you'd pay to own a car or like pay car payments on a car for crying out loud, very cheap. And then easy. Like we would just, when we needed the car, like I had out of town meetings, sometimes I need a car like once every couple of weeks and I didn't need it to go to work. So I rode my bike. So it's a thing that can be the right kind of incentive or motivation to do the right thing. Like to me, like the good thing to do has to be the easy thing. So my other joke to people, if you want to change your habits is like freeze your keys in an ice cube in the freezer, take your car keys and put them in an ice cube, (laughs) you know, make it hard to drive your car and then you can find other ways to get around. Like that's the thing is like if somebody's car breaks down and they use their car as only transportation, they don't know what to do. Whereas me, like I know three other ways to get to where I'm going because I don't have that car. So it'll make you like a little more mentally nimble and creative. And I think creativity is huge element of, of sustainability and problem solving. And I'll also just say really quick to touch on Melina's point about being afraid, you know, knowledge is power and experience equals no fear. Uh, so I'm on the same roads that people are in Louisville are deathly afraid of, wouldn't imagine riding their bike on. How can you possibly do it? And I have very little fear. Uh, you know, it's I actually know the science tells us it's more dangerous per mile to be in a, a car going at great speeds. Right. <laughs> uh, right? Um, so once you kind of get used to it and start doing it, you start to that fear starts to evaporate and it it actually feels fun and joyful and powerful again, um, yeah. but it takes a little time to get there. And that's and the way to get over it is to do it with friends, right? Like to build that community. And if you have enough critical mass of cyclists in a city who can support each other and literally more bikes on the road means safety, more safety for everybody. Right. Cause then drivers are experienced with them and know how to deal with them and bikes know how to use the road and everybody's happier. Uh, but it, it can be tough to be the only one in your neighborhood to do anything yeah. in sustainability. But if we don't have those leaders starting, it out, you know, we're never going to make any progress. So it, it takes some some risk, some personal risk to like any good fight, right? <laughs> to, to... Yeah, I was going to say like all of what you like your intro to this was like, oh, I mean, I could think about that for literally everything in my house like, <laughs> that I'm trying to do sustainably. It's like it, it does take a little bit of fear, like you're going to get it wrong, right? Like like the compost story, right? Like I'm going to get my compost wrong. Did I just waste all like two years of composting? Well, I mean, I still got some dirt, like that's going to be okay for some things. Yeah. So I think that that's a that's a big piece is like the fear of getting started is always going to be there and the fear of change is always going to be there but it's something you believe in which i think is what's so important about sustainability and you know sustainability like we've all said is it's so interconnected to so many different issues it's very easy to pick what's sustainable in your wheelhouse to focus on and then like you're doing your part there you can expand you cannot you can educate others and then they do it and then it's a whole like pay it forward effect and and i think that's a really great place to be i mean like i i don't farm and I'm not a solid gardener. We have some herbs in a container out back and like we use those instead of buying herbs before. So that's pretty dope. But you know, we used to have a a rain barrel and that was a big deal. It's ugly. Like it's in the front of my house in the highlands, but I made sure when we sold our house, we were not selling, like we were not taking the rain barrel. And I joked, I was like, every house I moved to, I'm putting in a rain barrel. I'm placing the windows to be more efficient. We're going to have a compost bin. I was like, we're just going to put them in people's houses and then you'll figure it out or you won't like it'll be okay. 
Yeah, that same fear about the streets applies to everything in agriculture and urban agriculture, mm-hmm. too. Like, people are afraid of worms. People are afraid of bees. Right. People are yeah. afraid of all these things that truly sustain us, right? And mm-hmm. and people are afraid to take that first step. But, like, like Vaughn knows people, like, who've never raised chickens before might be, like, afraid of, like, oh, my God, I'm going to kill this poor creature, right? Um, but we've got or to I get... To kill this poor <laughs> we've got to get past that fear uh, and take some of those first steps, I think. I couldn't lose this. Vaughn, give us something. Um... I was I was kind of sad that I said I was going to pick up some trees that was being cut down after talking about sustainability, but I'm using the tree limbs to go feed the goats. So Ooh, there we go. Like, it's not like the person that's cutting the trees down is really doing anything bad because they're cutting the trees down to grow a bigger garden. And instead of just throwing them out into a landfill, they're coming over here to feed the animals. So that's that. That's my take right there on sustainability for today. But I mean, I, I practice that every day. Tell us more about what you practice. So, so we're in all in an urban setting, all over urban growers, farmers, or you know, learning more about growing and in, in the urban setting. Right now, in the in, in my background, you see uh, this is Bill right behind me, and then Bailey's on the ground, and some of the other animals are further back. All the bees are over there, and then, yeah, this is just the backyard, and I do this all from the backyard. Uh, goal is to teach a lot of the two other people. If you want to grow your own have your own I think it's something that we all are capable of is whether or not you want to do it how far you want to go uh you mentioned rain barrels i don't really keep rain barrels but I, I do practice some type of water system practices here this roof goes right down into what is a waterer for my animals so i don't use any of my water but i use the rainwater to give the, the animals the drinks for the day but Aren't yeah, you pretty starting much like an aquaponics thing? You were cleaning yes, out the thing you were going to do. That is in the hoop house. I got to get my pump and my filter going right. So it's not up yet, but it will be. That's so cool. So I guess the reason I think that one's really cool is when I was in California and I, I did a lot of juvenile justice work and at juvenile hall, which they have a whole different like policy about juvenile hall. So like they had way less kids in there than literally like anybody else in the county I was in. But one of the things they did for the kids who had to stay, like they're obviously going to school at the hall, but they had them doing um, aquaponics gardening mm-hmm. and like they had their own garden in, on the field. And then in their science class, they were learning like the science of aquaponics and how to grow their tomatoes and stuff. And I was like, that is such a life skill. And I'm, I have a lot of opinions about juvenile justice systems in general, but like teaching life skills for yes. kids who are in there is so huge. And things like aquaponics gardening, because you can do that at home. I've seen videos in like Syrian refugee camps where like they're in Israel and they're not, there's like laws about like being able to plant in the ground in some countries. And so they reuse mattress foam for their like hydroponic gardening system where the foam Ooh. holds the water and then it releases it down the pipes into the plants that they're growing. And it's like, that kind of stuff is rebellious and <laughs> it's so efficient. It's so efficient. Yeah, definitely. Um, Amanda, share share with us a little bit more. You have an urban farm uh, called Lots of Food and you grow tons of things, but mostly <laughs> big old trees. Tell yep. us more, real quick about that. I have nuts. I'd have to say, like, I feel this great kinship with Letitia because both of us are like single women, crazy urban farmer people. And the names of our operations are both like goofy puns. So (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Mine is lots of food, which is like vacant lots. And when I bought the property from the city, I bought it for the purpose mainly of the orchard. I have almonds and hazelnut orchard there. And actually I have, I just found like a dirty nut in my pocket of my pants I'm wearing today. So here's (laughs) one. Now that's sexy. (laughs) 
I got nuts in a lot of pockets. I'll tell you what. Uh, uh, uh. Um, yeah, super sexy. The nuts in the pockets. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I have almonds and hazelnuts over there. I also have around like the edges a lot of other perennially things like blackberries, passion fruits, grapes, grapes. Yeah, like fruits and fruits and nuts really is what I grow out there. And then I have like a lot of pollinator plants, sunflowers, some nice things up in the front as well. And the bees are there. So Vonovix, I didn't know you were a beekeeper. Justin also keeps the bees out there. Lots of food in the Portland neighborhood. And it I'm has taught a me a lot, like when you <laughs> have land, you, you know, you pay attention to what's happening there. So I really just enjoy being there and seeing like there's reptiles, there's birds, there's snakes, <laughs> there's like pollinators. It's wonderful. Yeah. If anybody wants Sexy to see snakes. Letitia visiting, there's like a precious YouTube video of Letitia Marshall visiting <laughs> where we didn't see a snake, <laughs> but it's precious. We didn't have yeah. to see the snake, honey. All she had to do was let me know that they were there. Honey, I got the scooping up out of there. Um, but yeah, so your farm, though, is pretty incredible. There's not a whole lot of nut farms in Kentucky. And so, right. like, how, why, and should there be more? I think so. I mean, here's the thing. Like, it's labor. You know, like, if it's not industrialized, it's a lot of labor to do this, right? But it's not obviously sustainable to grow a lot of things that we are eating right now, like, to grow them in California across the country where there's not water to grow those things right where we have to like truck bees across the country just to pollinate this one monocrop of acres and acres and acres of something you know it's not healthy for the bees it's not really healthy for the world so i really wanted to see us grow more of what we eat like grow more of what's on our plate like right here in our own place and just to see how much of that we can do and to show people that you can do it and it turns out like, yeah, almonds and hazelnuts are actually possible to grow here. I would say the almonds probably are doing even a little better than the hazelnuts. The hazelnuts are like so-so from year to year. But it's, it's really just a demonstration project for people to like help expand our minds a little bit. You know, like, yes, you can grow blackberries in your front yard if you ever never thought about it. Like, they're very easy to grow. So I have those on the front fence. People walking by can eat them. Maybe, you know, one out of 100 people walking by is like, hey, I'd like to grow some of those too. You know, like, look, those are just growing in somebody's front yard. Like, why couldn't I grow those? So same thing with the nuts, really just an experiment for myself, but to show other people like, hey, this is kind of fun, you know, and you can crack them while you are watching TV. If you are inclined to watch TV, I'm not. <laughs> and while you're growing trees, you're also doing other great things for the world. You're yeah. tackling our urban heat island effect. You're making oxygen. You you're fixing carbon. So there's lots of reasons to pursue agroforestry, even in the right. heart of our city, uh, as a solution for us. Uh, and there's also, I mean, Amanda talks about the labor of it. In some ways, it's less labor than annual crops might be, too. So there's lots of ways to think about it. And you yeah. really, if you want a sustainable farm, you're doing lots of different things on it. And trees are just right. part of the solution, right? But to me, right. all of this stuff we're talking about what makes this hella sexy y'all is that we are talking about being producers and not just consumers and to me that's exciting right like every human is a consumer we're all we all do that but what makes a person interesting is what they produce and the creativity they use to do it. And we're only going to get to sustainability if we use creativity to get there because it's about using those available local resources and thinking differently about how we produce and even what we eat. And so thinking about maybe eating one of those native pawpaws, uh, maybe a lot of people never even heard of a pawpaw. What the heck is that? You're not going to find it on your grocery store shelf. Uh, you're, you're probably not even going to find it at a farmer's market. you got to grow it your own or go out and harvest it yourself. And when you, when you can see the world with those eyes that makes the world interesting and makes you an interesting person <laughs> and magnetic right people love signing up for amanda's foraging workshops because it's like pulling back a veil i'm like look at all this deliciousness that's all around us that you don't even see my friends because society has told you not to even look over there right that's sexy 
Yes, if only you. I was like as sexy as that as that girl on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, but it's okay. It's still fun. No, no, don't police your own sexy. Right. Not don't in this police, house. Don't uh-uh. police your own sexy. I love it. Uh-uh. You're getting the t-shirt going. You know. Yes. I, that's what I'm gonna put on t-shirt. And I'm gonna let y'all know what happens. Um, no, but that is very well said, Justin. Thank you so much. Y'all, we could talk about this all night. Like really, I'm I've learned so much and just hearing everybody's uh, perspective, I continue to grow, right? I'm not only trying to produce and bear fruit, but I want to grow as well. And I definitely want, yes, that's a play on the channel. On my yeah, business. okay. But <laughs> check out bearfruitgrow.com if you haven't already. Blue with lots of food, Justin Mogg with sustainability. Now, Ford Radio, Bond at Kentucky and Backyard Farms. Um, he's on Instagram, hit him up. And I also just posted a video a few days ago of our tour of his farm. So if you have not checked that out, go nice. check out Kentucky and Backyard Farms. Melina, up and coming lawyer in Kentucky, Zone 7A. Uh, but she has a ton of experience in policy work, advocating, reckoning, making sure that people understand what a TI is because it's going down over here with the Urban Ag Coalition. Thank you all so, so much for joining me, Justin. Thank, thank you, you. Thank you, Vaughn, for chiming in. You all have a good rest of the day. And welcome back, my friends, to Sustainability Now here on Forward Radio. My name is Justin Mogg, and I hope you've got your calendars out and your pencils sharpened because this is a big week for sustainability. I want you to get engaged. Coming up on Tuesday, September 21st at 3 p.m. online, it's the next No Waste webinar on compost bins and rain barrels. You can join Louisville Metro's No Waste education team on Tuesday at 3 to learn about backyard composting and rain barrels. Turning your food scraps into a rich organic fertilizer instead of sending them to the landfill where they will convert into methane, a supercharged greenhouse gas, is one of the simplest and most impactful steps towards sustainability that you can take. And capturing fresh, clean rainwater off your roof instead of sending it into our sewers to contribute to our combined sewer overflow crisis is one of the easiest ways you can help tackle one of Louisville's biggest environmental challenges. You can also purchase a compost bin or rain barrel from the city at wholesale prices. Learn more about all of that and register for Tuesday's 3 p.m. webinar at nowastelouisville.org slash webinars. And that's K-N-O-W wastelouisville.org slash webinars. Now, on Tuesday evening, the 21st at 7 p.m. online, the Greater Louisville Sierra Club, a proud Forward Radio community partner, is presenting Kentucky Thrives. You can join them via Zoom as they welcome Hank Grady, a longtime activist and environmental attorney in Kentucky, who will present Kentucky Thrives, a regenerative agriculture campaign. This new and exciting initiative of the Kentucky chapter of the Sierra Club includes this call to action to create opportunities for family farmers and rural communities. The economic recovery plan must untangle the hyper consolidated food supply chain that feeds Wall Street profits and instead 
should invest in local and regional food systems that support farmers, agricultural workers, healthy soil, and climate resilience. We'll learn about holistic land management practices, regenerative agriculture, and how we can support this important campaign. Learn more and register for the Tuesday 7 p.m. online event at facebook.com slash Louisville Sierra Club. Again, go to Facebook and find Louisville Sierra Club for the Tuesday 7 p.m. online Kentucky Thrives event. Now, there are a couple great events coming up this week about community land trusts as a way to build black wealth in some of our historically black neighborhoods. The first one's coming up Wednesday, September 22nd at 6 p.m. in Smoketown. And it is taking place at Loaves and Fishes at 500 East Caldwell Street. How do we keep housing affordable? How can we control the development in our neighborhood? Come learn how you can play a part in the future of housing in the Smoketown neighborhood. A community land trust is a tool for residents to take control and leadership within the neighborhood. It's time for Smoketown to stand up. Uh, for more information about this event taking place Wednesday, 6 p.m. at Loaves and Fishes, 500 East Caldwell Street, you can contact uh, Michael at Center for Neighborhoods. That's M-I-K-A-L-F at centerforneighborhoods.org or give them a call at 502-589-0343. Same information and same contact information for the Russell Neighborhood Community Land Trust informational session that will take place the following evening on Thursday the 23rd at 6 p.m. at the Joshua Tabernacle Missionary Baptist Church at 426 South 15th Street check it out community land trusts are such an important uh, innovation and not done enough here in our community and an important way to build black wealth in our communities all right i also wanted to let you know that coming up this friday september 24th it's a free portfolio manager training series learn how to track and reduce your energy use with the us epa's energy star portfolio manager tool uh, it's virtual uh, and the Louisville Energy Alliance is excited to offer a three-part series of portfolio manager trainings to assist local organizations starting their energy efficiency journey. In this three-part series, participants will learn everything from the basics of entering building and energy data into the software to the more advanced functions of setting goals and targets for your energy improvements. Technical experts will be on site to assist. You can register at tinyurl.com slash PM Training LEA for the Louisville Energy Alliance and Portfolio Manager Trainings. That's tinyurl.com slash PM Training LEA. It's 8.30 to 11 a.m. on Friday, September 24th. And then the second Portfolio Manager 201 is Friday, the October 8th at the same time. And it wraps up with 301 on Friday, the 22nd of October. Again, all virtual via Microsoft Teams. Go to tinyurl.com slash PMTrainingLEA. I've mentioned them before, and the next pop-up drop-off is happening this Saturday, September 25th at Sun Valley Ball Field. 
10401 Lower River Road from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's an event where you, anybody can bring for free recycling, uh, and you, they accept up to three electronics, uh, metals, and appliances, household recyclables like paper, plastic, metal, glass, if you happen to live in a place that doesn't have curbside recycling, uh, proper disposal of prescription medications, any kind of yard waste, on-site paper shredding, and you can even get rid of three passenger tires uh, or four passenger tires uh, and they will be disposed of properly uh, it's all uh, up uh, gonna happen on September 25th at Sun Valley Ballfield 10401 Lower River Road from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. this Saturday also on Saturday from 10 to 2 it's a citizen forester 101 training at the Louisville Grows Healthy House there at 1641 Portland Avenue become a rock star volunteer and help restore Louisville's urban tree canopy. Citizen Forester Training 101 is the foundation of Louisville Grow's urban forestry program. Through the training, participants learn how to restore and maintain Louisville's urban forest. Participants are taught basic tree anatomy and physiology, environmental stewardship, tree planting skills, and how to lead other volunteers in proper planting and caring for trees. This training is open to individuals of all abilities, age 12 or older, the training cost is $25, but scholarships are available. Light refreshments will be provided, and all trainees receive a Citizen Forester t-shirt. The training will be held in person at Louisville Grows Healthy House in the Portland neighborhood. Participants must be fully vaccinated, and masks will be required. Space is limited. To sign up, go to tinyurl.com slash cf925training. That's for September 25th. tinyurl.com slash cf925training. To request a scholarship or for more information, just contact Lisa at programs at louisvillegrows.org. And again, Citizen Forester 101 training is this Saturday, 10 a.m. to 2 at the Louisville Grows Healthy House. Also, Saturday the 25th from 10 a.m. to noon out at Bernheim Forest in Claremont, Kentucky. It's For the Love of Trees Walk and Talk. If you love trees, this series is for you. Bernheim Arboretum is a special place for many, but especially for those who love the company of trees. Staff and volunteers at Bernheim put in hours planting trees, caring for trees, and researching trees. They also love sharing stories and engaging visitors in treeful explorations during discovery stations, programs, and walks. Join Director of Horticulture and Sustainable Landscapes, Renee Frith, and explore how trees are selected to fit a variety of landscape projects. You're sure to come away with new appreciations for the sometimes complex decisions that may guide the trees we choose to plant and where we plant them. Getting it right usually requires more than luck. These programs have a limited capacity, so register early, but registration and payment is due by 4 p.m. on Friday, and you can do so by calling 502-955-8512 or just go to bernheim.org b-e-r-n-h-e-i-m.org for the saturday 10 a.m to noon for the love of trees walk and talk also continuing on saturday from 2 to 3 30 it is the tenant organizer training collectivizing our struggles put on by kentucky tenants who you heard from just about a month ago on this program it's a project of root cause research center and the trainings continue on september 25th with a topic of base building 201 
and uh, that's going to be uh, down in Madison County, but you can take place virtually, and you can sign up anytime between now and the final training on December 18th. You can learn more and register to participate at rootcauseresearch.org slash tenant training. rootcauseresearch.org slash tenant training. And that is all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. I want to thank you all for tuning in, and once again, thanks to everybody who chipped in during Give for Good Louisville to help us exceed our goals and stay on the air another year. We are so grateful to our listener sponsors. All right, my friends, stay tuned. Lots of great stuff coming up here on Forward Radio, and I will be back in your ears again in one week's time, my friends. Be well. Just a little bit of love. 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 Just a little.